0: Okay, let's read God's Word together. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 14, and that's found on page 981. So let's open God's Word together, and we'll read the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll get started. Page 981. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people from um, uh, five loaves and two fish. I was getting muddled up. Two loaves, five fish. Uh, And then in verse 22 of Matthew 14, we read, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from, from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognised Jesus, they sent words to all the surrounding country. People brought all who were ill to him and begged him to let those who were ill just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that as we... Learn about the Lord Jesus, please. Would we be changed? Uh, would you speak to us? Would you work in us? Please, may we become those who love the Lord Jesus more, and who worship Him with our whole lives. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but I love a good rescue story. You know the sort of thing: guy gets lost in the wilderness. Um, he's run out of water, run out of food. He's about to die. The rescue team search for him, find him, and he's brought back to um, civilization. He's in hospital on the bed, and they interview him. You know, I love that sort of thing. Um, with all the tragic fires and floods around the world these days, we're not in short supply of rescue stories. And um, because everybody's got smartphones in their hands, um, we have amazing YouTube videos to go with them. So one amazing video I saw recently was uh, a woman rescued out of her sinking car. This was back in 2016. in uh, in floods in America. She'd obviously been um, swept into deep water in her her car, a lovely convertible. I think it was red. Um, And thankfully, just as she was sort of about to go into the water, a rescue boat came by. And they rescued her. A man jumped onto the back of the car. It was a convertible. They ripped the roof open and reached down into the water and pulled out the woman. It was really cool. And um, (laughs) just when you think it couldn't get any better... The first thing the woman says when she comes out of the water was, my dog, my dog, you've got to get my dog. And he reaches down again and pulls the dog out. <laughs> do you want to see it? No, yeah, let's see it, let's see it, let's see How do we go forward? Oops, no, it's not him. We'll come on to him in a minute. How do we go back? Okay, we're not going to have the sound, so I'll have to do some commentary. So this is a, a load on news. There's the car, load of red car. I think the boat actually um, knocks her further into the water. That was a bit of a, a, bit of a fail. Try to get her out. Car's going down. I think they're asking, has someone got a knife? Get a knife. We'll cut the back of the car open. It's going down further. Try to break the window. That's not a good idea because then the air rushes in. And then, in a minute, they realise that's, that's not going to work. So it's going to jump on the car. Takes a long time when you're up here. <laughs> it's only a minute long. He's gonna jump in any minute. Come on, you can do it. There we go, he's on the car. Oh, here we go. Yeah, urgent now, urgent now. Rips the roof off. There she is. Woo! There she is, round of applause for the, for the lady. My dog, my dog, you gotta get my dog. I think the dog's lost, actually. (laughs) No, hang on. Hang on. Maybe he's got it. Oh, she goes down. Try to find him. Here he goes. Get ready. Hey, look it. Very good, very good. Now, it wouldn't make a very good story, would it, if um, the person being rescued um, turned out to be the hero of the story? doesn't work that way does it? It's the other way around actually. Um, Now you may have heard of this guy here, uh, Jay Swingler. He was, um, or is, an internet celebrity and uh, he thought it was a good idea to, to cement, we've lost him, to cement a microwave oven to his head. There he is. Um, and in fact, he nearly actually died. He nearly suffocated to death because the cement expanded as, as uh, his head was in this microwave. And he had to be rescued. The fire brigade came out, they rescued him. Um, but in an interview afterwards, um, he was quite pleased with himself. Um, it turns out that his friends had videoed the whole thing. The idea was that we're going to put it up on his YouTube channel and make money through advertising. And um, in an in a interview afterwards with the BBC, he was actually quite pleased with himself. Um, he thinks he was the, he's the hero. Um, we know that there are better words to describe. Uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't say that. <clears throat> the rescuer is the hero. The person being rescued is the one who is weak, who has to eat humble pie for getting into trouble in the first place. Yet when we think of the Christian life, being a Christian, doing Christian ministry... I think we can often get things around the wrong way. I become the hero. It's all about me. It's all about my calling, my gifting, my development, my blessing. And there's a danger when we come to passages like the one we read in Matthew 14, of not just Jesus walking on the water, but also Peter. We think that really the Bible is is all about about me. It's all about Peter. It's a self-help guide so I can have more faith. I can, I can have more blessing in my life. So often you'll hear a passage like this preached. And it, the takeaway, it's all about Peter. It's all about getting out of the boat, taking risks, leaving your comfort zone. Be bold for Jesus and, and you too can walk on the water, do amazing things for God. It all sounds really compelling, doesn't it? A call to bold faith, risky obedience that we might see the kingdom advance. At the end of the day, that's, the, that's what we long for, isn't it? Uh, we, we long to see more people becoming Christians, more people following Jesus. It's certainly what we're, we're longing for uh, in Edmonton. But I want to suggest that this, this passage is not all about Peter's act of bold faith as he gets out of the boats. It's not an example for us to follow. Peter is not the hero of the story, we are not the hero of the story. There are some things we do need to learn from him. Um, But this this story is not about us or Peter or anyone else. It's here to tell us about the Lord Jesus. That's Matthew's big goal. He, like the other gospel writers, wants to learn about Jesus, who is the king, who's come to save us from our sin. If we just focus on, on Peter, if we make him to be the hero We're going to miss the whole purpose of the account. We're going to end up putting ourselves at the centre of everything. We're going to end up like Jay Swingler with with spiritual microwaves cemented to our heads. Congratulating on ourselves on being rescued. What does Matthew want us to learn about Jesus? That's the good place to start. That's where we need to start. And the first thing we see is here is Peter the hero. He's not the hero. The hero... Is Jesus. Now a good place to start in in understanding this passage is is to ask the question, well, why is Jesus walking on the water in the first place? I mean, he could have done countless number of different miracles. He could have healed everybody in the whole country. He could have um, made it rain really hard. He could have done loads of things. Why walk on the water? And what's the connection between Jesus walking on the water and the feeding of the five thousand? These two events always go together in the New Testament. Well, the answer is that it points us back to the Exodus in the Old Testament. When God's people were rescued from Egypt. Do you remember that story? God's people, they're they're stuck in Egypt, living as slaves. But the Lord has compassion on them. And he sends the plagues. Uh, They're poured out on Pharaoh in Egypt. And at the end, Pharaoh is compelled to let his people go. Uh, they're brought out of Egypt. But there are two big problems. The first is that behind them is Pharaoh's army chasing after them. And ahead of them is the Red Sea. Their way is blocked. Army behind, Red Sea in front. What does the Lord do? He makes a way through the sea. He brings them through on dry ground. And then Pharaoh's army is swept away as the sea comes crashing into, into its place behind them. That was the first problem. The second problem is that they end up in the wilderness without any food. But what does the Lord do? He gives them manna. He provides for them. The Lord who had compassion on them saved them. They were powerless to save themselves. He had power over the water. He had power to provide food miraculously miraculously from heaven. That is the God of the Exodus. He is the, the I am that's God's special name that he, he revealed to Moses. When we come to Matthew 14, what does Jesus do? Well, actually, he does the same thing. He provides food miraculously, miraculously from heaven, and then walks on the water. Verse 24:25, He walks out to the disciples on the water who are in a boat halfway across the Sea of Galilee, struggling to get to the other side because of the wind and the waves. What does that tell us about Jesus? He is the Lord. He is the same God. He is the God of the Exodus. He is the I am of the Old Testament. He has power over the sea. He has power over nature. Power to provide food from heaven. And that's why in verse uh, uh, 27, he actually uses God language. He says, take courage, it is I Referring back to God's special name in the Old Testament, I am. Do not be afraid. God language, God actions. He is the God who's come to rescue us. The feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water are parallel miracles that point us to the cross. The greater rescue. These two miracles show us who Jesus is and why he's come. He is the Lord who's come to save us from our sin, just as he rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. And that's why Jesus is the hero. That's why it's all about Jesus. That's why, everything, that's why he must be at the centre of all things, because he is the centre of all things. He is the Lord. So whatever we think about Peter, whether it was a good idea for him to get out of the boat or not, what we do see with Peter is that things go well for him when... In verse 29, he's, he's walking towards Jesus. Jesus, at this point, is the focus of his attention. It's the direction in which he's going. He's looking to Christ. When do, when do things go pear-shaped for him? Verse 30, when he looks away, when he looks at the wind and the waves, he takes his eyes off the Lord Jesus and then starts to sink. Peter is not the hero. He has no power. He has no power to save himself from drowning. Peter is in need of a rescuer he's in need of a hero that's what Matthew wants us to see and that's why the, the Christian life is not all about me or Peter or anyone else it's all about Jesus that's why we need to be cautious when um, when, there is a, when, we, when, when we're presented with, with Christian teaching but when Jesus is missing I don't know if, if anybody had a, a, magazine from a um, quite a large church in the area delivered through their door. Did anybody receive that at all? Um, Gareth and I were talking about it the other day. Um, you read through it; it talks a lot about faith, but where is Jesus? Anybody see Jesus in there? I mentioned twice, I think. Huge magazine. Where was the cross? Where was the resurrection? We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful when, when Jesus is presented when he is not the Lord. This is what the cults do. I was talking to some... Uh, I love it when JWs come to my door. I love it. Um, and they can't get away very easily. But uh, um, The Jesus of the watchtower is not the Jesus of Matthew 14. He is not the Lord. He is not Jehovah according to them. We've got to be careful. Muslims talk about Jesus. Uh, uh, Jesus is mentioned in the Quran many more times than Muhammad. But the Jesus of the Quran is not the Jesus of Matthew 14. He is not the Lord. We need to be careful. We need to be careful when ministry appears to be focused around certain individuals. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Matthew could have spent the whole of his gospel talking about himself, but he didn't. He talked about Jesus. Think of Paul later on in the New Testament. He says, we proclaim us? No, we proclaim Christ. We knew nothing while we were among you other than Christ and him crucified. It is all about Jesus. That's the first thing Matthew wants us to understand. Jesus is the hero of the story. He is our Lord. He is our saviour. But why is it important for us to grasp this? Or what will be the results when we, when we focus on Christ? Jesus, Lord. The first thing is that when, when we keep Jesus at the centre, the result will be faith that saves. Now, one of the problems of being human um, is that we don't, we don't float, we sink. We sink just like Peter Um, once when Tamsin and I were living in in Turkey we took a holiday on the Black Sea and the Black Sea coast is notorious for for being a very dangerous place to swim and um, one morning we watched um, a couple of guys they went out massive there was waves from a storm uh, the night before Um, they went out too far couldn't get back got tired, started to drown started to cry out for help, um, we we ran for help. We tried to find the coast guard, um, but when we came back to the beach, um, it, for one of them at least, it was it was too late, and we just saw this guy laying lifeless lifeless on the beach, stretched out. When your life is in danger, things get put into perspective. They cried out, "Help! Help us! We're drowning!" And this is true of Peter, isn't it? This is what he did. Um, you notice that. Um, as he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to drown, starts to sink. But then what happens? As he starts to sink, his eyes go straight back on Jesus again. Verse 30, he cries out to him, Lord, save me. That's what Matthew wants us to learn about Peter. He's weak, he's powerless. He needs somebody to save him. It was true of Peter physically, it's true of all of us spiritually The Bible says, because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, we all sin. They sinned, we sin. We all naturally reject God out of our lives, we shut him out. And because we all sin, we all deserve judgment. Our greatest need, like drowning Peter, is to be rescued. Is to have our sins forgiven. To have our relationship with God restored. Now, obviously, Peter, he, he knew he was drowning. Um, straight away, he starts to, starts to cry out to Jesus for help. The problem is that those in the communities around us, in the community around us, those who are not yet Christian, they, they don't realise they are drowning. They don't realise that they have they've sinned against God, that they are heading for an eternal judgment. I don't need to tell you that Edmonton is a, is a place of huge huge need. Um, poverty, homelessness, addiction, broken families, mental health issues, gangs, the list goes on. And as Christians we're called to to serve the community, to be a blessing. So on Tuesdays we have our cafe here and um, we teach teach English to those who've come from, from from other countries. It's a really good thing to do, it's a really kind thing to do, a loving thing to do. And many of us help other people in many different ways. The danger is, however, that we can so easily focus on these visible needs that we miss the fundamental need of the people living in this community, which is for a saviour. What Edmonton really needs is not more social housing, not more rehab programs, better health care. Edmonton needs Jesus. Now, you may know that, that Gareth and myself, we serve for an organisation called London City Mission. Uh, London City Mission started um, in 1835. That's a long time ago, isn't it? 180 years, is it? Is that something like that? Yeah, not a good mess. Um, a young Scotsman came down to, to London and started to reach out to the poor, the poor in, in the city. Um, in those days, there was real need. We think we have difficult days. Um, in those days, um, it was tough. People lived in slums. People were dying of cholera. Um, there, was, there was no education, a acute need for education. And most of the churches were not doing anything to help to, um, to reach out to these people. Um, and that's how London City Mission started. Now it could have been really easy for these, these guys just to meet the needs of the day. Just to help. Um, help with healthcare, help with education. But they didn't. They recognised that people had a deeper need, a more urgent need. And so their, their overriding passion was to share Jesus with people, was to share the gospel. Sadly, many, many organisations, many churches even, start in the same way. They start with Jesus at the centre, but over time, mission creep sets in, and they end up just meeting people's social needs. That's that, where does that end? Well, that ends in judgement, doesn't it? Meeting social needs is not a bad thing, but it doesn't address the real problem One day, we will all stand before God and have to give an account for how we've lived. And if we have not trusted in Christ, the future will not be bright. Unless those who are living in in the community around us are are told that Jesus is the Lord who loved them, who came to rescue them uh, from their sin by dying on the cross, how will they cry out, Lord, save me? They need to be told. You may know that um, we live in an area where there's quite a lot of people from Muslim background. Um, looking at the stats, it seems that it's probably um, well over 30%, 35, even 40% of the people living in this, this area are from a Muslim background. They have a hope that, that God will accept them on that day because their good uh, works outweigh their their sin. They're going to be in for a shock. They need to hear the gospel. Otherwise, how will, they, how will they cry out, Lord, save me? The wonderful thing is, however, that when we do lovingly warn um, people that judgment is coming and clearly point people to Jesus, they will cry out to him. Parable of the sower, many people will reject the message of Jesus, but there will be some who do believe so this is where the Christian life starts we, 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 it happened to us didn't we we heard the gospel we recognised we'd sinned deserved judgement but Jesus died on our place and we cried out to him I wonder have you done that have you got on your knees in prayer and personally asked Jesus to save you are you trusting in what he did on the cross that is the only way you can be saved from, from the judgement to come, coming to church will not save you Have you heard that that little phrase? Um, Going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Have you heard that? (laughs) Coming to church won't save you. Religion won't save you. Doing good things will not save you. Only Jesus will save you. And we need to cry out to him. When we keep Jesus at the centre, it will result in people crying out to him in, in, in faith, saving faith, just like we did. But there's one other thing, when we keep Jesus at the centre, it will result in saving faith, but it will also result in true worship. This is the second reason, we need to to keep Jesus at the centre of all things. Now, now worship is a key theme of Matthew's Gospel. You have worship at the beginning of the book, where the wise men come and they bow before baby Jesus, and you have worship at the end of the book, when? When? Anybody remember? Great Commission. Jesus commands them to go to all nations and they worship him. The problem we have, going back to the Garden of Eden, is that our worship is misplaced. Uh, since the Garden of Eden, when the, when the devil persuaded Adam, Adam and Eve that God was not good, not worthy of their obedience and worship, we all have this inbuilt tendency to bow down to other things. Not literally. But we do. Other people, ourselves, things we own. Jesus was tempted to to, to worship uh, Satan. Where Adam failed, where we failed, Jesus refused to give in to temptation. The other reference to worship in Matthew's gospel is in the verses we read. You see that in verse 33. What happens when uh, the disciples get, or Peter and Jesus get back into the boat? Verse 33, they, they worship him. Verse 33, they worship him. You are the son of God, they say. Why do they worship? Well, they've come face to face with two things. They've come face to face with their, their weakness, their smallness. But they've also come face to face with the authority of Jesus and his saving power. They understand something of his identity in a way they've not really understood up until this point. We're created to be worshippers, to know God, to love him as king, to live lives fully devoted to him. When Adam and Eve sinned, everything got turned round, got flipped around. Uh, We put ourselves in the place of God, just like Romans says later in the New Testament. We worship and serve created things other than the creator. Idolatry. Idolatry. But when someone becomes a Christian, when someone understands that they have sinned, deserve judgment, and then trust Jesus as their saviour, they're brought back into a relationship with, with, with the Lord Jesus, who is, who is the Lord, who is the King. Saving faith and worship always go together. One leads to the other. That's what happened to the disciples. We see that verse 30. Peter sinks, he cries out to the Lord Jesus, he's saved. Get back into the boat and they worship. They've come to understand that Jesus is not just a man, he's not just a prophet. He is the son of God, he has this God-shaped authority to to, to save, to rescue. And they worship, seeing seeing that they are just weak individuals uh, that cannot save themselves. This is the key to worship are these two things. We acknowledge our weakness, our sinfulness, our need of a saviour. If you think you are a good person, you will never worship Jesus. It's impossible. But we we acknowledge who Jesus is, that he is the Lord. He has authority over, over creation. He has authority over the universe. He is the highest name. We recognise who he is and we worship. We, we, we not only bow down to him, but we obey him. We, we offer our lives to him as a living sacrifice. He's worthy of all of that. We see who we are. We see who Jesus is. That results in worship. And that's why the, the, the cross is the, the perfect place for worship to take place. Remembering the cross The true worshipper reads of Jesus' death. He reads, and we we sung about it earlier, we read about the nails piercing piercing his hands. We read about him being crucified, being rejected and mocked. And we say, you know, I deserve that. I deserve to die because of my sin. Jesus was sinless. He didn't deserve to die in that way. Yet Jesus, who is the Lord came to to earth, did no wrong and took the punishment I deserve for my sin. I trust him. I receive the gift of eternal life. I receive the the, the sure hope of, of forgiveness of sins and in response I offer my all to him, to the one who died and rose again. That is worship. We bow down like the wise men and we obey like the disciples at the end of Matthew's Gospel. I wonder, does that describe you? It's really what it means to be a Christian. If it doesn't, maybe you need to understand that you are are weak, you are unable to save yourself. Maybe you need to see who Jesus is. Maybe you need to just dig back into the Bible and read about who he is, his authority, his his God-shaped authority as a son of God, as the Lord himself. I urge you to do that. Um, it will result in saving faith and true worship. Now here's the thing. We could be mistaken we could be mistaken uh, when in verse thirty one Jesus rebukes Peter for doubting, um, especially when in verse twenty nine he had invited him to come out on the water. We could be mistaken in thinking that Jesus was just basically asking Peter to do a better job, a bit more faith, Peter. Try harder next time. But here's the thing: what would have happened if if Peter had got out the boat, walked around on the water, and then got back in the boat? What he did? Boasted. He boasted himself. He would, yeah. Well, actually, I think the other disciples probably would have worshipped him. Peter was always meant to sink. That was the plan. That was was Jesus' plan from the beginning. Um, He rebuked him, not because he didn't have strong enough faith, but because he didn't understand who Jesus was and why he had come. What the disciples learned from the experience was was their weakness, their need of a saviour, but that Jesus is the Lord who had come to save. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for our King. Nothing can compare. Nothing can compare with with our Lord who humbled himself and came to the earth to die a a, a cruel death on the cross. But we thank you that he is the Lord and we thank you that the Lord is a saviour. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that when we cried out to you, Lord, save me. You said, of course I'll save you. And you accepted us as your children and gave us the gift of eternal life. Thank you so much. Please would you help us be those who who grow in our trust uh, of your son, the Lord Jesus. And please may we be those who grow in our Worshipful devotion to him as well. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing one more song. We have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves.